0: Alright, good morning. Thank you guys. Thank you for the prayer. That was awesome. Good morning. It's good to see you. You guys look good. And uh, I'm glad you're here. So, it's a beautiful day, huh? Um, tell you what, let's get your Bibles out. Romans chapter 8. We're, that's kind of where we're going to be camping out. And today's topic is, is prayer. Supernatural prayer. Whenever I teach on prayer or um, Usually when a pastor preaches on prayer, he's looking at the Lord's Prayer, or she's looking at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Our Father out in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Awesome. Leave us not in temptation. Forgive us from the evil one. Okay. So you guys got it. It's the Lord's Prayer. I mean, we all understand it It is like the perfect model that we have uh, that Jesus himself gave us. And basically this morning I'm just going to be looking at the part that says our Father. And that's, that's it. That's all I'm looking at today is our Father. And the rest of it is all, it's great too, but our Father. and But the, the key scripture that we're going to be digging into today is usually a scripture that is not used when uh, teaching or preaching on, on the topic of prayer. Romans 8 is it's packed. I mean, it's dense. There's, there's uh, so much stuff in there, and uh, usually it deals with the, the victorious Christian life, and, and rightfully so, but it's, it's, it's much deeper than just, you know, making you feel good about the victorious Christian life and empowerment. It's, it's, it's something all altogether different, and let's take a deep look into it. Let's read it. We're going to start uh, at Verse 13. Chapter 8, verse 13, Book of Romans. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit... Can somebody turn that chime off, Pastor? You know how to do that? (laughs) Thank you. Sorry. All right. But if you live by the Spirit, uh, put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live because those who are led by the spirit of god are sons of god for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear but you received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry abba father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are god's children now if we are god's if we are children then we are heirs Heirs of God and co heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share also in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to the frustration, not by its own choice but by the will of the one who has subjected it in hope that we excuse me that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God for we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time not only so but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit Groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is not seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches the heart uh, searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. All right, you guys okay? All right, a lot there, huh? Okay? Thanks for hanging in there with me. Um, We're going to be primarily looking at verse 15 and verse 16. What's the the main idea that I kind of want to flesh out on this? Is when you become a Christian, how do you know that you're a Christian? You accept Jesus into your heart. But at that moment, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, comes inside of your heart, and basically it gives you a new language. Everybody can pray. Atheists can pray. Uh, non Christians can pray. People that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they can pray. But their prayers are mechanical. They're, they're to get stuff. They're, you pray because something bad has happened to you and you say, oh, might as well just give it a shot. Let's see if this guy's real. That does work sometimes, by the way. But our prayers. If we don't have that new language that is empowered by the Spirit of God, it's just... It's like an app for your iPad. It's a, it's a consumer tool to get stuff that you want. Prayer was never meant to be that way. Prayer was never designed to be that way. Prayer is an intimate connection with God. Especially, well, actually all prayer should be supernatural, but the topic is plugging into supernatural prayer. Every time we pray, we should be moved into a different world. We should be, we should adopt a language that is not earthly, that it's it's a heavenly language. It's, It's talking to God. And sometimes our words just don't come out right. And this is what... Paul is talking about, and he's actually referencing um, the Lord's Prayer. So what's the first point? The first point on your outline, and then verse 15, it says, We cry out, Abba, Father. What does that mean? Abba. So this is, that's your first fill-in. Abba. Uh, what, we cry out, Abba. Abba is a, it's, it's not a Greek word, it's an Aramaic word. So your Bible was it was originally written in Greek, uh, street Greek. Base, basically, it was just everyday, you know, language. But when they wrote it, they, they they left this word "Abba" in the original Aramaic, the language that Jesus spoke, and it's translated uh, it's translated as "father." But the pure translation of the word "Abba" is "daddy." Okay, so it says. It says Abba, or it says Daddy, Father. And some scholars, and probably even rightfully so, they translate it as not just Daddy. Okay, how many people have 5-year-olds, 6-year-olds, 7-year-olds, 8-year-olds? And you're 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 walking down, you're, you're in the mall, you're in the grocery store, and then you get the Daddy... Daddy, and then the puppy eyes roll over. I'm like, the, I'm the worst, I'm the biggest sucker. She gets me every time, okay? So when, when daddy is being expressed, there, there can be a tinge of manipulation because little kids want to get stuff from their daddy. But the true translation of this Aramaic word daddy is actually closer to dada. It's even a younger form of expression. It is the basis form of language. When, well, I, Honey, did Sophia first say daddy or mama? She said daddy. Yes! It's the, it's the basis form of communication. An infant, the first word that comes out of an infant's mouth, in my case, was dada. Right? Why? Uh, she hasn't learned about toys yet. She hasn't learned about the material world yet. What does she want? She wants me. She wants to hug on my neck. She's—it It is a primal desire to connect with her dada. Somehow she knows in her spirit that I am her creator. Me and, me and mom created her. And she needs to connect with that. She wants to come up to my level. She wants to... Hug on my neck. She, this is what babies do. Jesus was the very first person to use this word "Abba." In fact, when they, when the, you know, when the disciples and everybody falling around, Jesus, is like, "How do we pray? Teach us to pray." You're just something going on with you. You have this this connection with God. We want that. Teach us how to pray. And when Jesus says, "Okay, you pray like this," you say our father okay for us it's not that big of a deal we live in a western world we have this concept that we're children of God and you know we have Father God some of us have Mother Earth and we we get it right but that was not acceptable in that time that was one of these Jesus said a lot of things that made people mad this was one of them because in the Hebrew culture you that 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 was illegal to do there's only a few instances where in the Old Testament where They were allowed to or the the Jews were allowed to call you know God Father, but it, it wasn't one of his attributes at all. He was Yahweh, he was God, he was Jehovah, but he was never dad. Okay? Jesus says, This is how you you pray to him as father. This is this is how you identify with your creator. That made everybody mad. In the Garden of Gethsemane. Takes it a step further. He's the first one that says, "Abba, Father." What's the Garden of Gethsemane? I mean, this is the Garden of Agony. Is another way that you describe it, right? He has been betrayed. He's got a bunch of sleeping of, you know, disciples that have fallen asleep and they've quit praying. Walks into the garden. Says, what are you guys doing? Shakes them. You can't. Don't you realize the moment that we're in, and you can't even pray. He's by himself, and he just "Abba, Father, Daddy, Dad." So he goes into this primal communication. So are you guys getting that? I mean, this is where God wants us. This is where God wants us, and it's difficult. Actually, it's a difficult language to adopt. Um, four years ago, I was doing the youth group, and uh, we, you know, I was I um, I led the Christian club on Claremont High School. And uh, it, I did okay. They, they kind of drove me nuts. Um, and then every year, they do the, the prayer at the pole thing. You know, it's a, na- it's a national event for Christians. You know, all the, the Christians get together at the flagpole, and they pray. And this was the day that I met Ruben. Ruben's that good-looking kid that just did annou- announcements. He's, he works with our youth. And this is the very first day that, that I met him. he had transferred in from Western Christian to Claremont High School. And we were, we were, doing, a, we were doing the prayer, and I'm like, all right, dear Jesus, we pray that you protect us this year. Blah blah. blah. And so I'm doing my prayer thing, right? I'm just going over the, the the prayer, whatever. And then this kid out of the middle of nowhere goes, "Daddy, we love you so much!" And so I'm like, I'm praying like this, and I hear this "Daddy," and so my my eye goes, Well uh, you, this, this." You know what I'm saying? I'm like, "Who? What? 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 This isn't. This is out of the realm of the normal." And my 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 uh, my religious eyebrow goes up. I'm like, "Who is this?" Who is this kid that is so irreverent in prayer? But by the end of the, by the, end of the time, I realized, actually, this, this kid knows how to pray. So I recruited him into our church. Um, <laughs> short story, right there. Um, it wasn't irreverence at all. He, he understood how to pray in a right way. And... Hopefully we'll, we'll dig into this more. So prayer, first one on your outline, is it's, a, it's primal. It's, it's instinctual. It's, it comes from the guts. It's what infants do. Not just ch- children. It's what infants do. And what does Jesus say about this? You have to be born again. You want to enter into my kingdom? You have to be born again. You have to shed that old sinful self. You've got to get rid of your old language and you have to start speaking in a new way. The only way that you can do that is through the Spirit. Okay, we'll look into that some more, too. All right. Next one is that prayer, prayer has to be real. We live in a real world, right? And, well, it's, it's, it's easy to, when we live in, a, in, a, in, a, in painful realities, it's easy to make up a reality show out of our life. You know, we, we, we project something that is not real over the top of our lives and we make it fake and we make it plastic and it's just not real. And it's not just for everybody, but Christians do this too. They, they, they think that there's something that they're not and they're avoiding the pain that is in their life. They're not dealing with reality and then they just stick their head in the sand. Right? They're just like, oh, I'm not going to deal with reality. And, and sometimes actually... Uh you know I how do I say this without being controversial? Um uh, pastors and communicators and what whatnot, you know, they they they'll, they'll refer to Romans eight to say, if you believe in this, you'll be a rich, successful Christian that won't have any problems. Because uh, the, the next verses after this is that it says that we are more than conquerors in Christ. Okay? And so people refer to this verse as the victorious Christian life. And rightfully so. But they, 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 they take out the part that yeah, life is also painful and it's hard. And nowhere, especially in, the, in these verses, and nowhere in the Bible does it say you become a Christian your problems go away. I think this is one of the major fallacies that we have. I become a Christian and I give my life to Christ. Therefore, I he's going to pay my bills and he's going to I'm going to miraculously have all these great relationships and everything's going to be fine. And it doesn't work out that way. And what does Paul say in here in, in verse 22 and 23 and 24? He says the planet is groaning. It is in it is in labor pains. It is in decay. There's something wrong with creation. Have you ever seen a dead body? I mean, even dead animals. And you're just like, hey, something's not right with that. But especially when you go to a funeral and you, and you see a dead loved one or you see a dead friend and you see the corpse. And, and you just something resonates like, this isn't right. Death has this sting and this tension in my life, and it's just not right. Paul says the whole, all of creation is, is groaning, for us to understand our sonship and our daughtership. It is, it is groaning for us to rise up to where we need to be as followers of Christ. Then it says, we groan, we we process this pain. This is very real stuff, right? This is this is a lot different than we're more than conquerors and you can do you know, this positive self-help stuff that, that's that's filtrated into our culture. It is true, yes, we are more than conquerors. The word says that, but it also says that we groan, that we experience pain in life. And you have a choice. You can experience this pain by yourself, or you can filter this pain through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the next part it says, and the Spirit groans. The Spirit groans with us and intercedes for us. And it prays prayers that we don't have language for. So there is a reality to this that we have to bring into the picture. So when you come before God in prayer in the Holy of Holies, be real. Okay, don't be disrespectful. I talked about this last week and when I talked about holiness. You don't have the right to call God names. You don't have the right to flip God off in your prayers and to say, you're unfair, you mean guy. Why did you do this to me? I don't recommend that, okay? Okay? You can present your pain to him with petitions. You can open yourself up to Him. But know this this is the Word of God. God is not the author of evil in your life. God is not the author of evil. So don't ever accuse Him of it. He didn't do it. Okay? So God is real. Verse 15 again. And by Him, what does it say? we cry. Right? It, and when it says, when you pray, it doesn't say, and by him we come in because as, as we're, we're, we're awesome. No, it says, and by him we cry. We express our distress. Look, it's saying life is hard. Life, life is stressful. And we have, all right, does anybody have a stress-free life in here? It, where there is no distress in your life? Raise your hand if you do. And if life is going perfectly right now, then um, you need to write a big giant tithe check. <laughs> you need to write a big check that, may, that puts you in distress. <laughs> so, uh, sorry. Um, Peter. In Matthew 12, Peter is... He's doing stuff that at the time no human being on the planet has ever done. He's he's understanding who this guy is. He, 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 maybe at first this concept of calling God Father was offensive, but he's beginning to understand it. He's beginning to understand his place. He's beginning to understand his position. And so much so that he steps out of the boat onto the water and starts walking on it. And then fear and doubt and self hatred kinda of sink in and he begins to it begins to sink. What does it say? It says he cries out. He cries out. He doesn't say, Oh god, god if you really want to, I guess you could save me. You know, you know the situation I'm in, and but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna burden you too much with my feelings. No, he cries out, Lord save me, and he does. I'll even venture to say, God doesn't want us to be too comfortable in our lives. Maybe you do have everything together. Maybe you got your act together, and there is no, you know, no distress that is isn't unbearable, that you can't handle on your own. Maybe God wants you to step out in faith. Get out of the boat. Take a risk. You're willing to take a risk and drown. That's, that's another sermon. That's a faith sermon. I'll do one of those later. OK. So we cry in state of distress. Groaning is crying, right? All right, next one. Probably the, one of the more important ones is prayer, supernatural prayer, Needs to be positional. What does that mean? We have to work ourselves in, into a position of prayer. And maybe even sometimes physically. Well, that's, not the, that's not the issue. The issue is the heart, right? But we have to position ourselves to have supernatural prayer where the Spirit of the living God can do that intercession for us can intercede for us. In Daniel chapter 6, this is a, it's Daniel in the lion's den. Again, I have a five-year-old. I read this thing at least twice a week. Okay, so Daniel in the lion's den is a, it's a powerful story. And if you're not familiar with the story, uh, Daniel was, was a young man in Israel and they, they, they ripped him out of his country. The Babylonian Empire came in and they, they took all the, the smart, good-looking peop- young people, and they made them slaves in their empire in Babylon. Just, just ripped this kid right out, of the, right out of his home. And they made him a slave. And and, and somehow, uh, in the Babylonian empire, and then he, he saw a couple of different kings. The, the, uh, the, the Persian, the, the, the Mede-Persian empire uh, deposed the Babylonians, ended up in the same place. And he rose in favor with the kings, and in the, in the story of Daniel in the lion's den, it's, it's, it's King Darius. He has so much favor that he's like the king's right-hand man. And he's a slave. But he has, he has access to the whole country. And there's some jealous governors and officials and satraps that um, they don't like him. And so there's, a, some, there's some politicking going on and they want to get rid of him. And so they convinced Darius to, to come up with this special day where, you know, I think it was like 60 days you could do nothing but worship the king, the emperor. Okay, he is divine, he's God and you can, you can only worship him alone. And their purpose was because they knew, they knew Daniel had this prayer life. They knew that he was a Jew and they knew that he wouldn't quit praying. And sure enough, Uh, the the king wasn't thinking, and he says, okay, let's do it. Let's make a special day about me. And they make this day about him, and they they make a decree, and it's published. And as soon as it gets published, Daniel knows that that's his death warrant. He sees the publication. He goes home, goes upstairs, shuts the door, uh, opens the windows to his balcony, Probably overlooks the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world. Kneels down and do what he do does what he always does. At noon or at, midnight, you know, at night, at least three times a day, he kneels down and he begins to pray. And this prayer that he gives is, is in a, a certain direction. He has positioned himself towards Jerusalem. He, see, Daniel is not a prisoner of the Persian Empire. He's a prisoner to the promise of God. And he positions himself towards that way in prayer. And when the satraps and the governors and the, the, the evil people find him, they, they, they find him praying. And what, is, what are his prayers? They're prayers of thanksgiving. He knows he's a dead man, and he's praying to God, and he's thanking God. Not quite sure for what, but that's what the Bible tells us, that he's praying prayers of thanksgiving, all right? You think you have it bad. He was probably 13 to 15 years old when he was taken from his country. So he'd lost his home. They didn't take the old people, so he'd lost his family. It doesn't say if he had brothers and sisters or not. We don't know. So he lost his home. He lost his family. And if you're a history person, you might understand this. You could probably read between the lines. But if you are a good-looking young man and you're incredibly smart, and if you're running the country, and if you have the king's ear, that makes you something very special and something completely horrifying they turn you into a eunuch. They demasculate you because you will become a threat to their throne and they can't have you sleeping with the harem. So they literally demasculated Daniel. They took everything from him. They took his home. They took his family. They took his masculinity. And now they're after his God. But he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up. He does what Jesus told us to do. He says, go into your room and shut the door and pray. Have your personal prayer time. Have your personal prayer closet. And again, if anybody has the right to be a bitter critter, it's this kid. And we know the rest of the story. God supernaturally delivers him from the lion's den. Angel comes in, shuts the mouth. All the satraps and governors and officials, they get, and their family, They get tossed in, and they're eaten before they hit the ground. That's out of the story. We don't tell that part to the kids, by the way. That's the the scary, gruesome part. It has been my experience in the ministry that when bad things happen, people react. And a lot of times they turn to God. You lose your home, you turn to God. You've wrecked your family, you've wrecked your marriage, you turn to God. Again, the Bible never tells us that life is going to be easy, does it? Daniel lives this out. Sometimes, when, well, this is a true test of Christian character. When consecutive bad things happen to people, a lot of people just give up on God. I quit. I'm done. He didn't answer my prayer. I'm getting thrown to the lions. Peace out. I'm done. But what Christians should do, what mature believers should do, is mature believers don't quit praying. Mature believers don't quit going to church. They don't forsake the fellowship. That's what Christians do. That's a pretty heavy topic. I I just dropped a bomb on you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I made you feel guilty, but... Followers of Christ don't quit praying when times get hard. They go up in their room and they develop a private prayer life. When Jesus calls the religious leaders hypocrites because they're praying in public, whenever we talk about hypocrisy, it's because, oh, you know, so-and-so comes to church and they read their Bible and they they pray real loud, but we all know that, that he's sleeping around. Or we all know that she's, you know, she's gossiping and she's just a horrible person. It's all a facade. It's all, it's all hypocrisy. But when Jesus is talking about hypocrisy here, he's, he's saying the hypocrisy is not in, the, in their lifestyle. Their hypocrisy is, is that they don't have a private prayer life. That's what, he, that's what he's going after. He's going after this private communication with God that they don't have. That's the hypocrisy. Okay. All right, so prayer is positional. Next one, prayer is experiential. Prayer is empowering. You can, either one or both, prayer ought to be and should be empowering and experiential, uh, it, 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 me included. My, my, my prayer life can be really boring sometimes. It's like I'm just going over the words, right? I've forgotten that communication with God is primal. I have forgotten to position myself towards the Father. I've forgotten who I am in sonship. I forgot that I was an heir to God. I forgot that I was a co-heir. Ooh, we read that, right? Co-heir to Christ. What does that mean? That means that I am adopted into God's family as God's son. That means when God looks down on earth at me and you as adopted children into his family, he sees us the same way that he sees his real son. He looks on us with eyes that he would see Jesus with. We're Jesus, our brother. Doesn't seem right, does it? But that's how God looks at it. So if I get myself positioned right, I know that I can communicate right. But experiencing God in prayer—if I go through my daily life and especially my prayer life as if I'm just like flipping up, flipping prayers—I do that. Okay, if you've had lunch with me, that's the kind of how I pray. I just, thank you, God, for this food. Bless us to our own bodies. Let's, let's eat. And then that's where the experience comes in is when I start eating, right? So, but God wants us to have experiential prayer, especially in our private prayer life. Um, if you're not moved when you're praying, if you don't have that primal, whatever that is, that dada language, if you're not moved when you're, when you're praying, God's not going to be moving in your life. If your prayer doesn't move you, chances are it's not going to move him either. And so we must continually grow in our, in our relationship to our position of who we, who we are in Christ. We must continue to, to go deeper in and have a deeper understanding and a deeper language for things that we can't express. And he, he explains it a little bit more. In verse 16. All right, I'll start at 15. Okay, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship and daughtership, right? Okay, talking about becoming a Christian. When you become a Christian, you receive this spirit that makes you a son and a daughter of Christ, of God. okay. Okay, and then this is the key scripture that we've been picking apart. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Dada, Father, right? Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Is this redundant? He just, ta- he just said in, in verse 15 that if you receive, then, then you're a child. Then he goes in here and says it again. Is this redundant? I don't think it's redundant. I think he's making a point. He says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit. The spirit of testimony is Jesus Christ. So the, the, what's he saying? He's saying you have to continually grow higher up and deeper in. You have to have fresh revelation every day of your Christian existence that you are a son and a daughter of Christ. You need to be able to discover new dimensions of who you are in Christ. Me too. That guy too, the pastor. He is continually growing in, in who he is in Christ. His, his understanding of sonship is growing, and I know that it is. And it ought to be growing for us. We live in this area, God wants us in this area where the spirit living inside of us is an active culture it's spreading. We're growing deeper in the testimony, the revelation of who he is. It's multifaceted, and we have to continue to grow in this. We have to continue to experience more and more of God's goodness. Again, we go from glory to glory. We're, we're, it's, we, we never level off in our growth with Christ, If I told you that I understand the scriptures, I have chosen where where I— have decided where I'm going to level off of my spiritual growth. And if I'm stagnant, I'm dead. If I'm a pool, then there's no living water falling out from me. And this is what he's going after. This is what—this is so important to our—to our life. We have to not—how many people want to experience God— You want to have a religious experience, right? I mean, people talk about it. The world talks about having religious experiences. You want to have this this supernatural thing, right? We all want to experience God at some level. You wouldn't be sitting in the room if you didn't want to experience God. God wants to experience you. And the only way that God can experience you is through your prayer life. When we decide to disconnect our prayer life, when we decide to quit talking to God on a real, primal, positional level, he, 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 just, he can't experience us the way that he would like. He can't experience us through the Spirit, right? All right, next one. And I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time on this because this is the whole purpose of tonight. Prayer is communal. We have to get together and pray together. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Josh, you just told me that the most important thing in my life is to have a private prayer life. Yes. And now I'm also telling you the most important thing in your life is to have communal prayer life. You have to have both. Why? Well, actually, the Bible tells us. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, Our Father. Does he say, my Father? No, he doesn't. And even when Paul is reading, when he's going over this again in verse 15, says, does it say, I cry out? No, it says, we cry out. We cry out. You can never get to a place where you can communicate to God in a healthy way unless you do so within the church community. You have to not only be real with God, but you have to be real with others. You have to be in a place where life is real and that you uh, groan about it together. You bring your, positions, your petitions to the Lord together. As Pastor and Reuben did earlier, you, you are in agreement in prayer together. This is what God has called us to in, in, in communal prayer. Let's look at a couple of verses and then, and then we'll wrap it up. When they heard, as is Acts 4, it's in your bulletins. Uh, when they heard this, they raised their voices together, one accord, in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, uh, the place where they were meeting was shaken. I talked about, last week, I talked about holy places. This is an example of a holy place. The place that they were in was shaken supernaturally. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. You can't say, basically what I'm saying here, When you go into your private prayer life, you can't say, my God, until you have the humility, the transparency, and the vulnerability to say, our God, together. You can't have both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. And I know there's tons of people that like to do that. I don't want to go to church. Those people drive me nuts. I'm just going to pray by myself. Well, people that don't pray together just pray by themselves, they have chosen where they're going to level off spiritually. And there's probably a lot of other issues involved in that too that I don't think I have time to get into. But um, like i going to have the band and the ushers come to the front as they're on their way up. I'll just do a quick review. In him we cry, Abba, we cry, Dada. In him we cry. In him, in, the experience, we are in Christ, in, it's experiential. Father, in him we cry, Abba, Father, there's our position, we're in a relationship to him. And in him, we, very small sentence, very powerful sentence, we, we cry out. And so your homework for for you this week and maybe your homework for you today is, if you can, if it's possible, get into your prayer closet. If you are facing a difficult time, anything, and you just feel like you're giving up, and you're done, I'm going to check out. Don't don't do this. Pray. Bring it to God in in this way. Be real with God. Say, this is where I'm at. And get around a group of believers. You can come tonight if you'd like. If you want to call this place to your church family, come tonight. Pray with us. Groan with us. I want to encourage you. Find that small group, that home group, that people of believers where you can sit down and you can pray together through the Spirit. It's powerful, it's transformational. You can pray things that you've never prayed before because the Spirit is interceding through you. Let's pray. Dada, God, your Word is so powerful and and poignant and it cuts to our heart. And that we know and we realize clearly that we don't live in a perfect world and we we accept that you have made a plan and that there's a promise. And I pray that we would just position ourselves towards that promise. Where we can restore what was stolen. God, for those that uh, have lost their homes for those that have lost their families for those that are are losing their identities God, I just pray a a special blessing and a peace on them right now. I pray that your Holy Spirit will intercede for them through groans that they don't have words for. God, I pray that they will have the courage to position themselves to a promise, to a destination, to a, a destiny that you have predestined them for. I pray that they, in a healthy way, will process their pain and that they can say someday that we are more than conquerors in this world, that through the power of Jesus Christ, what he has done on the cross, we are more than conquerors, that we have overcome the things of this world. Bring peace to them right now. God, I pray for those that are in this room that don't know you, that pray prayers that that are nothing more than apps God they're they're, they're product placement prayers and I pray that you will give them the language of a Christian to know how to pray a prayer that will move you into action bless this offering God it to its fullest extent that it may advance the kingdom of God. Pray these things in your name. Amen.